Hi, and welcome to the Vine Community Church Podcast. We hope that what you're about to hear will help you to flourish in God's grace and bear fruit through loving God, loving each other, and loving our community. As we just go to a time of prayer, I just wanted to give you guys a family update. Just uh, first of all, you may have heard, many of you have been praying for uh, Aiden Curcio. He is home he has, uh, he's filled up now with lots of blood clots and probably soon he will be with the Lord and he will, 18 years old, be able to sing and when I stand before the throne complete in Christ. And do we, uh, yeah, it just, uh, we together as a church family are lifting up, uh, certainly Aiden and his parents, August and Krista, and uh, likewise, uh, Pastor Tim Barton and his family, uh, uh, <clears throat> Tim's um, cousin on his mom's side, uh, 20 years old, uh, died suddenly this last week. And he's in North Carolina with them uh, for services. And so we want to be praying for the Bartons and their family as well. Uh, so let's together uh, gather uh, as uh, God's people in a a season of of prayer and intercession. Let's pray together. Father, uh, we we come before you and we do thank you for your amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Lord, we thank you that you saved wretches like us. We don't deserve grace, but you gave it to us and we give you thanks. Lord, we praise you that, um, that you are with Aiden. Lord, uh, be with him in his last days, moments, whatever you give him. Father, uh, we just pray for uh, the whole Curcio family. We thank you for Aiden's faith that he's ready to stand before you and he's ready to get his leg back and to be whole and receive uh, ultimately his glorified body. Father, uh, we are all broken and frail, and we need you, Lord. And Lord, uh, our lives are just a vapor that appear for a little while and then vanish. And help us to number our days. Help us to realize, Lord, the gratitude we have for the moments you give us. And help us to, to treasure this day that you have given to us. Father, we pray for Tim Barton and Carrie Ann and their family, that you'd be near them and bring them comfort as they comfort so many. Would you bring to their hearts great comfort in the midst of their pain and just the exhaustion of their grief and sadness. Father, uh, we praise you for our students as they are... um, at their retreat, and we pray that you would be working the gospel in mighty ways, and many students would be turning their hearts even in a new way to Christ and to trusting him. Father, we just praise you for this weekend and pray that you would, uh, Martin Luther King weekend, that, that we would uh, love Lord without distinction, 
Father, help us. We all, we, we easily love the people who are like us. Help us to uh, pour out in us a, a love for all people. Give us the right responses from our hearts. Show us how to do this as the family of God here at the Vine. And let the Christians, the church, Lord, model how to love without distinction. We need your help with this, Lord. And we give you thanks as we come to your word and we praise you that you are the Lord of the heavens and the earth. And, and we pray that you would open up your mighty a gospel, you change us. We'd be different as a result of our time together. And we give you praise, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, for what a wonderful God you are. And we give you thanks. We trust you, especially when we don't understand. Help us. We're not good and we're not strong but we're yours. And we pray that your spirit would lead us as we go through your word. And we give you thanks in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So years ago, um, I was greatly helped by an explanation of the gospel of Christ by a pastor named Jack Miller, and Jack summarized the uh, gospel, the good news of Christ, in two, for me, help, really helpful phrases. The first is, cheer up, you're worse than you think you are. <laughs> and secondly, uh, cheer up, in Jesus you're far more loved than you could imagine. Now, this summary helped me, and I, let me explain why. Uh, today, as we're in Romans chapter 3, we're going to see how Paul taught uh, the Jews and the Gentiles and every person's need for a Savior due to their sin. The Jews were God's people and did grow up in a community of faith, much like we have this wonderful vine community of faith. And they received the word of God, a lot of teaching, a lot of information about God. But most Jewish people sought really sincerely to keep God's laws. And they tried to uh, obey his commandments. But some thought, compared to the Gentiles or the Greeks, and by the way, that was every non-Jew, they thought, well, compared to them, they have big sins, we have sort of smaller sins, and so that must make us more acceptable to God. You see, they fell into the trap of religiosity, almost the, the trap of where their faith had become way too common, and it wasn't changing their hearts, minds, and lives. And because they saw their sin as small, they also saw themselves as more acceptable to God than to others, especially the big Gentile sinners. You know, in my life, I've thought this way. 
not exactly uh, perfectly the same, but I remember I was a pastor. It's 36 years old, and I was thinking, you know, yeah, I knew the gospel. I knew I was a sinner, but I thought about, you know, my sins were like approval of man. They were achievement. I was trying to build a church. I was trying to make it happen. My problem is, is that I looked around to others. I thought, well, their sin seems a little bigger. And I really failed to see in my life the sinfulness of my own sin. And maybe you've done that too. You see, uh, the problem with that is not so you feel bad or like, ter- like a terrible person. Here's the real problem is, if you don't know the depth of your sin, you will not understand the wonder of his saving grace. See, when you understand that it's for your sin that Christ came and died, when he really died for you, I know you know that in your head. I knew it in my head as a pastor. I would preach it all the time. But in my heart, there was something where I was saying, ah, yeah, I'm not really that bad. And I had to repent, and I've continued to repent of these things. And had to realize, really, the, <clears throat> the sinfulness of my own sin. And so... Uh, <clears throat> But there's some of you here today that are kind of the other side of the spectrum. You come in here and, and you feel shame and condemnation for your sin. In fact, you know your sin and you think, compared to others, I can't even imagine why God would ever save me. You feel in your life far too sinful. You feel so unworthy you feel maybe condemnation and shame. And as you listen today to, the, to the, this teaching from the Apostle Paul, I want to remind you, and please hear this. Cheer up. In Jesus, you're far more loved than you ever could imagine. Far more loved. And he wants you to know that. So today, as we continue our study in Romans 3, we're focusing on the hard side of the gospel. Remember, this is a whole letter, and it was supposed to be read as a whole, but because we are a church, you want to get out by about 12 (laughs) o'clock. So we're just going through a few verses, and these verses today that we're focusing on are pretty tough. So let's dig in by God's grace and see what God would teach us from his word. Romans 3 verse 9, what then are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under the sin as it is written None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. 
The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. This is God's holy word. You see, the sin of Jewish people may not have looked like the same as the sin of the Gentiles, but it was just as sinful. <laughs> it deserved really the wages of sin. We know Romans 6.23 deserves death. Again, sometimes we can know that, but we don't really know that or understand it deeply. The Jews didn't get it. They were in the context of the family of faith. They had, we saw last week, Tim taught, that they had the advantage of the word of God that pointed them to their need for a savior and to understand why they were, their sinfulness of their sin. And still, they didn't get it. And in verse 9, Paul asks this question, are they, the Jews, better off, or do they have an advantage? And Paul's answer is emphatically, no. We all, both Jews and Gentiles, all humans, every person who's ever lived, are under God's wrath due to our sin. In essence, we could say today about summarizing this passage, we're all in the same boat due to our sin. Verse 9 says, what then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all, for we have already charged that all, all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, both Jews and Greeks, Paul's way again describing every human, are under sin. Paul says, and he goes on to say, as it is written in verse 10, He's referring back to the Old Testament and he takes an amalgamation of several passages from the Old Testament, especially the Psalms, the prophets, Isaiah particularly, and Ecclesiastes. And he quotes them in verses 10 through 18. And he's describing here every person's condition apart from Christ and his work due to our sin. In verses 9 through 12, we see that he says, in essence, again, we are worse than we think we are. Paul makes three statements about the sinful nature and then three statements about how we live trusting ourselves and our own work. First of all, he says this, by nature, our flesh, our human nature, we are not righteous, verse 10. He says, none is righteous, no, not one. You see, to be righteous is to be blameless before God. And you know, uh, if we today were to appear, die and appear before God and stand before him, would we dare say, God, you have to accept me because I did a lot of good things. We all know if we've been around the church for a while or read the Bible a bit, that's the wrong answer. 
Because our, our works are like, Isaiah says, our own righteousness, our own efforts are like, you know, like filthy rags. They're, they're not. We can't obtain or earn or deserve righteousness. We have to receive it. In church history, Martin Luther, a reformer, said we have to receive an alien righteousness which is outside of us and is given to us. And of course, he was referring to the righteousness of Christ. That we have to receive Christ and receive the wonder of his credited righteousness. And so... uh, so we, we know the answer that relying on our own works, no one is righteous. Romans 3.23, very familiar. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But don't stop there. Go to verse 24. And this is a glimpse of the good news we'll see over the next few weeks. And are justified by his grace as a gift. You see, on our own, we literally deserve death and hell itself. Do we comprehend that? Do we get that? Do we know that we are not in right standing before God, a holy God, except that he credits to us his very righteousness? And by nature, secondly, we are not understanding verse 11 here he's not talking about your smarts, your, your uh, capabilities, or your IQ. He's talking about a spiritual understanding that goes beyond the physical or even the five senses. So let me explain. Early in Romans, we saw in our last series uh, last year that, um, <clears throat> that we, every person, is created in God's image, his very likeness, and in us, he gives us, a, in essence, a God-shaped vacuum. It, down deep in the core of every one of us, we know that God exists. And we desire God, but what we do because of our sin is we suppress that desire. And some have suppressed it very deeply. And it's almost like completely pitch dark to them, but still, if they would realize and turn from their sin and realize their need for Christ. He can lift the darkness due to our sin and cause us to see that we need a Savior. You see, there are two kinds of approaches of people that rely on their own works. First of all, people who try to be good enough to earn God's love You know, Jesus often confronted the Pharisees and the religious leaders. These were the law keepers. They looked good on the outside, like many of us, including pastors. But on the inside, they had sin. And, 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 And the problem with these religious people, they weren't acknowledging their sin. Or the other side of the spectrum is those who deny their need for God who build their life around other things. These are the lawbreakers. We would say these are the Greeks, the Gentiles, in this context of Romans 3. And in our world, it's the person who is self-reliant apart from 
knowing and trusting God. Either approach is what Paul would say is a lack of understanding. We don't get it. We're blind. Do we realize that the only person who can satisfy and save us is our mighty, rescuing Savior God? The Bible says that we need to be humble like children, not smart or sophisticated. We need to be powerless and helpless before a mighty God and say, God, I come with nothing except for need. I come to you. That is my understanding. I need a savior. I need help. I need rescue. Do you hear this? This is true for both. Not only the non-Christian, but the Christian today, if you're hearing this, that we need to understand our need for God. And thirdly, by nature, we don't seek God. Verses 11 and 12, since the fall in Genesis 3, no person has ever naturally pursued God. Seeking God, Paul is here referring to growing in worship, loving him through his word, through prayer, enjoying like Selah prayer converts, little plug, please come if you may. It'd be a great opportunity for us to grow and enjoy how do we have conversation with God? Look, it's an important training. But our tendencies are to fill our lives with other things. Maybe what it, the culture says, that's good for us. This is, this is what will make you happy. This is what will satisfy your heart. What is it? Sports or comedy or alcohol, projects, possessions, relationships go on and on. What is filling your heart? What are you pursuing other than God? What do you think is going to make you truly happy or satisfied? You see, we naturally seek after things with the Bible to, other than what the Bible tells us are, those are good for us. But a person who seeks after God, here's what God's word tells us has been first pursued by God himself. We love, 1 John 4.19 says, because he first loved us. The only reason you are here today is because God first sought you. By nature, we are not righteous understanding, nor do we seek God. And as a result, in verse 12 we see that there, you know, there are three ways that we are, you remain independent in the way we live toward God. Verse 12 says, All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Paul isn't saying, look at you, people, people are worthless. He's saying your works that you do relying on yourself are worthless. Let me tell you what worthless means here. It's, it means literally like sour milk. Have you tasted it? <laughs> Years ago, um, uh, I, I, uh, <clears throat> we would go on beach trips uh, with our kids. It was the big thing we saved up for. And uh, we would go as a, f a young family. And Melissa was seven, and Christy was eight, and Lizanne, we... 
we, our big deal was we'd go to Cracker Barrel. And that was a big deal. And, and so we'd go in and... Uh, Again, we, we, we were a little tight financially in those days, very tight, actually. And, uh, and we'd go in, and uh, so the waitress would ask us, what do you want to drink? And I'd always say, water for everyone. I was German cheap tight. <laughs> and, uh, and so, but this day, I felt a particularly generous. And I said, girls, you get to order your own drink. They called me Father Generous. <laughs> and, and so uh, Melissa orders a, a chocolate milk. So they, she, they bring her this chocolate milk, and she takes a sip of it, and I see she has this bad look on her face. She said, Daddy, this, this doesn't taste good. And I go, here's what I thought. Man, are my girls ungrateful or what? <laughs> I snatched that chocolate milk from Melissa and I took a huge slug of it. It was awful. I mean, I've never tasted worse. It was, it was brutal. And I go, oh, Melissa, I'm so sorry. Forgive me. Oh, forgive me. And, uh, but that's what this word worthless really means here. It's milk that is completely putrefied. That's what your works are, even your good works. Are you building a boy's home on your property? Are you serving with family promise? Are you caring for widows? Yes, these are all good things, but if we do them apart from relying on Christ and his work, they're just sour milk. So what's the difference between relying on me and relying on God? It's our heart motive. It's hard to describe. It's not easy because it's not a simple answer. We have to constantly ask God, Lord, help me, whatever I'm doing, even preaching your word, that I would do it with a desire to glorify you and you alone and not me. Remember, it's so easy for us to slip into relying on our own works. And we see in this passage, secondly, that everything we do as we rely on ourselves, we are headed to ruin. And it's pretty bad. With our words, verses 13 and 14, their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. I mean, this is pretty harsh, right? Our, our throat is like death. Our tongues deceive and our lips spew poison. You're like, I don't do that. Listen, pause for a second. When you rely on your own self or your own works, your words are like poison. They may sound good, but they're venomous. And they're poisonous not only to you, but to your family and to the world around you. Not only that, not just our words, but our actions. Verse 15 
Their feet are swift to shed blood and their paths are ruin and misery. You see, he's saying here, our works aren't just fairly bad. Our works centered on our own abilities are actually murderous. They kill us and they kill others because they kill our need for a savior. And we become self-reliant. Our works on our own lead us and others along a path headed towards destruction. And with our heart motives, verses 17 through 18, and the way of peace you have not known, there is no fear of God before their eyes. You see, the self-reliant person has no peace even when they don't realize it. Why is there no peace apart from God? Is because he creates it. He is the only one who can give you that which you really desire. And we know the Bible itself from beginning to end is one big unfolding story of God's plan to rescue his people and to grant them satisfaction and true happiness. Do you believe that? And it's only by placing yourself under submission to his word and to his mighty work that we can receive the benefits of the happiness which he has bought for us through his precious Jesus, our precious Savior and Lord. So, as we conclude today, I just want to say, look, There is good news. Yes, it's cheer up. You're you're worse than you think you are. But we're going to be looking at the good news of Christ in that second part of cheer up. You're more loved than you dream possible in the weeks to come. And as you rely on Christ and his word, as you in this new year say, God, Kill my good works based on my own self. God, teach me to rely and desire and center my life on you and work for your glory and your fame. There's just a couple things I want to leave you with as you go. Is as you continually align your heart on Christ and his work, ask his help, first of all, to compare yourself to God and not to others. You see, when you compare yourself to God, what will that do? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty and you stand before him? It's humbling. You'll become less judgmental of others. You'll become more grateful for Jesus and saving you. It will change the way that you look at God and you view others. Secondly, celebrate what God is doing through you. It's only by grace. It's only by his work that we get to know this God and be truly satisfied. I don't understand it all and how that all works, but I know it's true. It's only because God continues in his amazing pursuit of you and me that we are saved. Celebrate it. Thank him. Ask him to fill 
2024, your heart more with gratitude for him and his mighty work. And then finally share this good news with first of all yourself and then others. Notice I say yourself first because you are the one you need to begin with to convince about the gospel. We know it often in our heads, but our hearts can be far from God. We have to come and say, Lord, please work in the motives of my hearts that no one can see and change them to align with a desire for you and you alone. So for the person who doesn't realize their sin, hear this, cheer up, you're far worse than you think you are. But for the person who feels beaten by their sin, and please hear this, cheer up, in Jesus, you're far more loved than you can imagine. What a gift that we get to be a part of a community of faith, a family of God. What a gift that in sorrow and in pain and in this fleeting world that we have a great Savior. Let's live our lives together in joy and join in with the enjoyment of glorifying this great God. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for your good news. We thank you that it's true, none of us deserve it, but for some crazy reason, you have loved us through Jesus. Thank you. Many of us have received that love. Thank you. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us for this podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at thevinecc.com, download our mobile app, or visit us on Facebook or Instagram at thevinecc. Have a great week.